Okay, so you guys know what a polygraph is? You know what a paragraph is, you know what a photograph is, you know what an autograph is, but do you know what a homograph is? Thank you for asking, I'd be glad to tell you. So homograph is a word that it drives non-native English speakers crazy because their words, they, they're spelled exactly the same, but they mean something different. Sometimes they're pronounced different. Sometimes they're pronounced the same. But an English per, a non-English speakers learning English, they're going right along, and then they come across these homographs and then just throws them. They're saying, what's up with that? Like, the farmer loved to produce produce. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's the same word. No, it's not. How about the bandage was wound around the wound? The insurance was invalid for the invalid. They were too close to the door to close it. Wait a minute, close and close? Huh? He had to subject the subject to a series of tests. The wind was too strong to wind the sail. She shed a tear upon seeing the tear in the painting. It took me a minute to locate the minute hole in the fabric. There is no time like the present to present a friend with a present. What? I think I'm just going to not learn English now. If you are a non-English speaker, congratulations. We are very grateful and we're sorry for all of this. But let me give you one more homograph that was written back in the 17th century by one of my favorite Puritan theologians, John Owen from Oxford University. He wrote a book with this title. I actually have a copy in my library. And it's one of those where I just love the title. J.F. Packer's got an amazing foreword to it, by the way, that's worth the, the cost of the book. And then you've got this treatise of this brilliant, godly theologian. But here's the title of the book, and it's a homograph. But it's a life-altering homograph. The death of death in the death of Christ. Three different meanings of the word death there. The death meaning the ending of death, this all-encompassing curse that you and I try to navigate our journeys on this planet through. The Bible calls it the valley of the shadow of death. The end of that curse in the physical death of Jesus, but more than just physical death, he was doing something more than just dying as a martyr. He was dying as a substitute. And if I'm going to engage with Jesus, I've got to understand the homograph that's embedded in the gospel. The gospel's good news, and if I'm going to get the gospel, I'm going to get that this gospel is, about, is a matter of life and death. And both life and death are homographs. There's more than just one meaning to them. God doesn't determine whether a person is alive or not just by whether our heart is beating or our lungs are breathing. He determines whether we're alive or not as to whether we've been restored in the original purpose that we're made for. So Christ came not to get people into church, not to get you to become religious, but to summon you and to summon you and to summon me out of death into life, to change the way we do our careers, our board meetings, our recreation, our hobbies, our eating, are drinking all of life. And so the summons of the gospel is what we're using as really the title of this series as we're going through John's gospel. We're calling it Awaken. Because what Christ says is, I've come to awaken the dead. 
Not just people that have died physically, but every man, woman, boy, girl on this planet, we have to navigate a death sentence on a daily basis because we're born dead. But the beauty of the gospel, the hope of the gospel is that we're summoned to life, which is why we're excited about this season of Northland Church having the vision of engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. That's the summons of the gospel to do this in community together. And so to guide us along as we begin this journey, we're going through John's gospel. Now in John's writings, I've told some of you this before, his, his gospel of John and his three epistles, he uses the word life, that's translated in English life, about 71 times. But only 15 of those times about are referring to heart beating, lung breathing. The rest are referring to the life of the gospels. Actually, not a homograph in Greek, it's two different Greek words, both of which are translated to life. One, one word is, is uh, bios, you get biology from it, heart beating, lung breathing, the other is zoe, and zoe is the great theme of the gospel. It's what John says is the reason he wrote his gospel in John 20, 31. He's, he says, these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. It's not just about a matter of you getting your doctrine straight and saying, I make this belief statement. There's a result of me entering into that life of belief, and that result is this, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. And people that are walking on this planet eating and drinking and breathing and sleeping would say, I don't need life. I already have life. He says, no, you don't have life in His name. And that's the privilege we've got of engaging one another to be fully alive in Jesus on a daily basis. So, as we're taking this journey, and we'll be taking different breaks in August, September, we're taking another break, then we'll come back to it in October. But uh, if you've got your Bible, turn to John chapter 5. Pastor Sean has uh, been taking us through the beginning of this text these past couple of weeks, and let's pick it up with verse 21. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, just go to the welcome desk afterwards and pick up one as our, our gift to you. And if you've never read, maybe you're just kicking the tires of this Christianity business. Maybe there's something that was tweaked in you this morning. You're thinking, maybe this is more than just doing a religious thing. And it is. But you're saying, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. Where do I start? I'd say start with reading through John's gospel. Just read through it. Saturate your life with it. Get to know Jesus. And get to know his agenda. And by the way, You'll pick up fairly quickly in any of the Gospels, Jesus reserved his greatest ire, his greatest irritation, even anger for the religious crowd, those who substitute a religiosity for a relationship with him. So take a read through it, but this is one of the passages. Let's pick up John 5, 21, for just as the Father, and I want you to notice the death and the life that's going on in this passage. For the, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so, the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Keep going. In verse 24, says, very truly. When Jesus says very truly in Aramaic, it's an amen, amen. That's what's being translated very truly. He's saying, get a load of this, get this, this is very important. And what he's about to do is shatter a lot of people's notions. You hear the word eternal life, and what do you immediately think of? What do most people, when they hear eternal life, they think heaven, meaning it's something out in the future. Eternal life is not just future, it's present. 
He says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has at that moment eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. If you're a follower of Jesus, the moment you became a follower of Christ, you might have looked the same to everybody around you, but there was something transformational that took place in, in you, within your, your essence as a human being. You left the realm of death and entered the realm of life. Very truly, I tell you, he says, a time is coming and has now come. It's so significant. He says, it's here. When the dead, the dead, those, every human being who is dead in their trespasses and sins, that's all of us, will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear, who really hear, who really embrace, will live. The root there is Zoe. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to also have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to judge because He's the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out, and those who've done what is good will rise to live, and those who've done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. You guys know what day today is? Give it a shot. Sunday, going to the 21st. Okay, I like that, July 21st. Uh, if it's today's July 21st, what was yesterday? July 20th. What's the significance about July the 20th? If somebody says it's their, their birthday, I'll sing you happy birthday out in the foyer, come up to me and we'll do it, no charge. But uh, what else? July the 20th, 1969. Yesterday was the 50th anniversary of us walking on the moon. I mean, just an amazing day. Going back into an, an historic event, not just historical event, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong walking on the moon, Mike Collins circling. I don't know. I don't know if it's still there today. Yesterday, if you clicked on the Google, on a Google search page, you clicked on the, the logo, a five-minute th- narration by Mike Collins, an old man now, just walking you through that whole lunar landing and kind of some of the stuff they went through. And I've, I'd rec- I've recorded several programs yesterday that I want to watch, the rebroadcast of those. Couldn't watch them yet because I have to work. I have to work one day a week, and it's actually just a half day at that. I'll be done midday today, and I can watch later. But I, I had a few things on, learning some tidbits here and there, things that, that, that I, I, I didn't know. Well, one thing I didn't know, never heard before, is that when the guys came back, they landed, splash landed, and then had to come through Honolulu. Uh, they had to fill out a customs form. <laughs> NASA's confirmed this, and they actually put it online there. Just like when you go traveling overseas, you know, on the plane, they give you the customs form, and you got to declare it. On the left-hand column, it's too small to read, but the left-hand column at the top, it talks about, hey, give, give your, your point of origin, anything, any places you went en route in your place of destination. So they put Cape Kennedy, the moon, Honolulu, right on the left. <laughs> so you talk about being able to top anybody else's customs form. Where have you been? Well, uh, Madagascar. Ooh, that's pretty cool. How about you, the moon? Um, on the far right, 
Remember when you have a customs form, you have to items to declare? What purchases have you made in another country and so forth? So on the right, they've got moon rocks. <laughs> Pretty expensive. Sam moon samples and signed, the three signatures you see there are Buzz Aldrin, Mike Collins, and Neil Armstrong. Other tidbits, you know, you know the first meal? Uh, eaten on the moon was communion. First food consumed on the moon was Buzz Aldrin taking a wafer and wine and celebrating the, the sacrament of communion. And all of those things are interesting, but they all are under the umbrella of the great statement of Neil Armstrong, which was when he hopped off of that ladder and came down to that moon soil, having no idea really what it was going to be like, and it poofed up a little bit in that low-gravity environment, and what did he say, but that this is a small step for man and a giant leap for mankind. So one little instance has ramifications actually for the rest of history for human beings. We'll go back a couple of thousand years to a little out-of-the-way Middle Eastern country, it was a normal Friday. The Romans had crucified hundreds, maybe thousands, that year. That was their form of execution. And supposedly a small peasant, little country called Judea, there was the Galilee, and a 33-year-old man was crucified. But it was no just ordinary man, fully human, but also fully God. And he was up to something. In his one small little, little few-hour period in the Middle East that has ramifications for all eternity, not ramifications for your religiosity or mine, but ramifications for our humanity being reclaimed for its original purpose. And Jesus says, I've come to bring you out of death into life. So if I'm going to grasp the gospel, I've got to grasp life and death. I've also got to grasp, along with those two words, some, uh, let me give you two others. I've been eating some candy somebody gave me this week. I don't have any on me right now. And so I've been keeping them in my pocket. They're soft and squishy little chews. Anybody know what the name of the chews are? Now and later. So you ever had a now and later? And last night I actually ate one during the, uh, during the teaching. And not going to do that again because it took a while. You, you enjoy it now and you're also enjoying it later. But to superimpose now and later with those words death and life moves us into an embrace of the gospel that's absolutely necessary in terms of the way that we're doing our family life, our business life, our recreation life, our solitary life, our community life. It's understanding how the gospel really is a matter of life and death in four, in four senses. There are four realms in which every human being lives. They're all referenced in this passage I just read to you from Jesus. There is present spiritual death, 
Second realm is future spiritual death. The third realm is present spiritual life. And the next realm is future spiritual life. Now, the reason I've got spiritual in brackets is so that it looks a little confusing without putting the word spiritual there, but I want to caution you. Jesus did not just come for your spirituality. He came for your humanity. We're unified beings. We're not bodies, actually, with spirit. We're spirits with bodies. So to say spiritual is simply to understand that it is the essence of how we're doing our lives. And every human being exists in one of these four realms. And let's walk through them in a little bit more detail and going back through this passage. If I'm going to grasp the gospel and hear the symphony of the gospel and dance to that symphony, I've got to understand all four of these realms. First is present spiritual death. Every one of us is born dead, the Scriptures teach. Oh, our hearts are beating and our lungs are breathing, but we're born under a curse. And you see references to that. Like in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Romans 5, 17, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man. Ephesians chapter 2, Great passage, I'll just read the first part of it to you. Verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Actually, keep going, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the craving of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. So to be born dead and to live a life as a dead man or woman walking does not mean that we don't engage with great beauty and great creativity and laughter and ingenuity. I mean, in a sense, dead people build beautiful buildings and put people on the moon. We're still Imago Dei. We're still His image bearers, even if we're not followers of Jesus. But we're born missing something, missing the, the, the greater nuances of who we are as human beings. You guys ever heard of a thing called a mosquito tone? I was reading an article just from last week, but they've been around for maybe a decade. It started in Great Britain. A store owner who had some kind of scientific background as well was irritated about some boisterous teenagers that were loitering outside and inside his store. And because of uh, the, the, the way that they were loitering and carrying on, he was losing customers. So a lot of his, his products were not for kids, but it was just a convenient place for them. They liked the overhang outside and, and they were just causing trouble. So he developed uh, what's become known as a mosquito tone, a sound machine that would emit a frequency. Now, you and I can only hear such so high of a frequency. When we're younger, that's when our ears are the best. The highest frequency, like on a piano, is four kilohertz. Uh, at age 25, we cease being able to hear anything higher than 16 kilohertz. This mosquito tone this guy developed is 17 kilohertz, so anybody over 25 can't hear it sometimes, you know, give or take a couple of years. And so he would just let the sound machine play. The, the adults coming into the store, they were fine, but the kids were so irritated by it that they left. He said, boom, success. 
What he didn't think about is smart kids. So one of these teenagers developed a ringtone for his cell phone that was the same frequency. It's a mosquito tone. And you can download it. It's been downloaded by the millions. You say, what, what good is that? Well, in school, the teacher says, turn your cell phones off. When a, a phone that is equipped, I, last night I had, and this morning, have had parents say, why are you telling us this? Why are you telling my kids this story? But uh, kids, if they've downloaded the mosquito tone, their phone can ring in class, they hear it, but the adult teacher doesn't hear it. You know, it's the same principle, almost like the dog whistle in terms of it's a high frequency, you, you blow it and the, the dogs go crazy, but nobody else does. Same thing going on. Reason I'm sharing that when I'm dead in my trespasses and sins, I don't hear the music of God. I don't hear the Word of God. I don't hear the truth of God. I don't hear what He's calling me, and I miss it. I, I, I confine reality just what I can see and hear and smell and taste and touch, and I don't get why I am a human being. Now, it doesn't mean that I miss out on the beauty of life. I can experience great blessing. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He says that, uh, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What's that referring to? He's saying there's a, such a thing as theologians will refer to it as common grace. That every human being, whether we're follower of Jesus or not, we experience the grace and the blessing of God. So if you're not a follower of Christ and you're just kind of investigating, not meaning to be offensive, but I am meaning to be truthful according to what Jesus says, you're saying, well, wait a minute, you're saying I'm spiritually dead. I got a lot of good, good things going on in my life. And you can click them off and exp experiences and giftings and so forth. But I want to say this to you humbly, but carefully compassionately but truthfully. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you've had all these blessings, understand this, there is not one single blessing in your life that is not a result of the grace of God. Even if we're not followers of Jesus, we still live in that realm of common grace. But it's still muted. We're still missing the life of God extrapolated out, and where that, I, I, go, I, un, I go unheeding to the gospel, we come to the second realm of this, of spiritual death, and it's future spiritual death. You don't hear a whole lot talked about in terms of, of, of hell these days. Jesus talked about hell. He talked about us choosing a reality. And it being cemented, go back to the text in verse 27 in John 5, and He has given Him authority to judge because He's the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out, and those who've done what is good will rise to live, and those who've done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So here's what's going on. I go through my life and I've got all these things happening, all these priorities that I'm dealing with, but I don't deal with the end of my life. In fact, most people, they don't even want to talk about the end of their lives. And that's just as important as all the rest of this. 
you know, you get those reminders on social media three years ago and so forth. I got one of these a few weeks ago. Three years ago, Andrew Heard, uh, my son Andrew went to the Air Force Academy, he was stationed up in Fairbanks. I told some of you this. I was teaching here some back then. He uh, summited Denali, one of the, 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 the great mountain peaks of the world, 20,310 feet. It's a two-week expedition, trained for it. Here's a photo of him, uh, actually with my book, on the summit of, of Denali. But if you would have asked Andrew back then, and the other people that he climbed with, they trained for a year to do this. You say, what's your goal? A lot of people think the goal of a mountaineer like this is to summit. Yes, but that's not his only goal. And he and I actually, we talked about this. What was his other goal? Only about 60% of people summit Denali when they climb it because of all the conditions. His goal was summiting it. What else? Coming home. A mistake that a lot of mountaineers have made over the years. Some were chronicled in John Krakauer's book, Into Thin Air. Like one 46-year-old Japanese mountaineer, she'd climbed all the other major peaks of the world, had not summited Everest. She was so fixated on getting to the summits of Everest that she was elbowing people around. She got to the top, she, I mean, she passed people. She exuded, exerted such uh, strength that she was so fatigued that it cost her her life. Here's Andrew on the summit of Denali, but right there he's saying, my job's only half done, I've got something else left to do. And that's to be just as careful on the way down. What we do is we go through our lives and we're only ignoring uh, we, and we're only paying attention to what is here now and not paying attention to what is to come. Now, a lot of people think the gospel is only about when we die. No, but it is about when we die. In the past, I've given you some characteristics of spiritual death, spiritual life. Take a look at some of these words. What does that present tense spiritual death look like? It looks like alienation from God and aimlessness and guilt and shame and bondage and restlessness and confusion and despair and emptiness and superficiality and aloneness. Now, do I experience any good things in that? Of course, because of common grace. But typically the way we deal with that is a spiritually dead man or woman is it's through distractions, through medicating the pain, through pursuing power and possessions and prestige and pleasure fixtures just to distract us. But when we die, the common grace tether is gone. The distractions are rendered even more powerless, and we are abandoned to that which we've chosen. J.I. Packer, a dearly loved theologian, gentleman, he says, all receive what they actually choose, whether to be either to be with God forever worshiping Him or without God forever worshiping themselves. Those who are in hell will know only that for their doings they deserve it, but also that in their hearts they chose it. Sobering. But the gospel is a matter of life and death. Present spiritual death, future spiritual death, but also, thirdly, present spiritual life. The third realm that we live in is this. Anybody who's a follower of Jesus is in this realm. Let's bring that, that up. The moment that you trusted Christ, if you have, and if you've trusted Jesus and that you did, you left a realm of death and came into a realm of life. You came alive. 
Might, have, might look the same on the outside, but my whole existence changed. Go back to John 5, verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over at that moment from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live, for the Father has life in Himself, so He's granted the Son also to have life in Himself. Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, He's describing you here. He said, there was a time in your life, and you're looking back on it, He said, you heard my voice and you came alive. Baxter Kruger wrote a book called The Great Dance. Unmasked, he says, it's not the religiosity thing that distracts. He says, the essence of the dance of the gospel. He says, the great dance, the Christian vision revisited. He says this, God is not some faceless, all-powerful abstraction. And you get that in a lot of church environments, kind of going through the motion. God is Father. And instead, he says, God is Father, Son, and Spirit, existing in a passionate and joyous fellowship. The Trinity is not three highly committed religious types sitting around some room in heaven. The Trinity is a circle of shared life, and the life shared is full, not empty, abounding and rich and beautiful, not lonely and sad and boring. The river begins right there in the fellowship of the Trinity. The great dance is all about the abounding life shared by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you and I are invited into that life. The only time that Jesus defined eternal life is in John 17, 3. In his high priestly prayer, the night before he gave his life, he says, now this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So the essence of this life is me being summoned back into His Spirit, taking up resonance in me and enabling me to commune with Him in the way that I eat and drink and work and play and navigate through a fallen world. It's why Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, referring to the enemy that's wanting to sap you, to rob you of the life as a human being to the glory of God. It's not some positive mental attitude. It's not some self-actualization or self-improvement. It's me being resurrected from my deadness. Yes, I was able to laugh, to cry, to create, to relate before I came alive. But once I came alive, I'm laughing as a child of God. I'm creating as a child of God. I'm living to the glory of God. He says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it throbbing to the glory of God. So instead of those death characteristics that were my only option before I came to Christ, that death column, we now move to what does life look like in comparison to those. Instead of alienation from God, I now have intimacy with God. It's not just a church thing. That happens in a boardroom or a workroom or a schoolroom or a playroom. Purpose instead of aimlessness, forgiveness instead of guilt, acceptance instead of shame, freedom instead of bondage, shalom instead of restlessness, illumination instead of confusion, hope instead of despair, completeness instead of emptiness, significance instead of superficiality, love instead of aloneness. The list goes on and on. Jesus didn't come to make irreligious people religious, but to make dead people alive and to give you and me the option to live the life of God on a daily basis. Yeah, that's why it's called good news. Now, we don't do it perfectly. If you're in Christ and you're in Christ and, and you trusted Christ, you're all equally alive. 
So same with me. We're, we're all equally alive. Now, the degree to which I'm experiencing this life and you are, and you are, and you are is different. And sometimes maybe on different days. Basically, those two columns are disobedience and obedience. So even though I'm a follower of Christ, I can still experience death. That's why Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That's actually addressing somebody who's already a follower of Christ, asking why shouldn't I go ahead and sin? But the privilege that I've got embedded deep within the gospel is the privilege of being able to say, what Paul says in Romans 5, 17, for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? I love that phrase. It doesn't mean always having a smile. Sometimes that happens with tears rolling down our cheeks. But the uniqueness of who we are as a gathered people is we're not a bunch of religious people that are gathered. We're a bunch of men and women who, by the grace of God alone, have been been brought back from the dead. And we're figuring out how to engage one another to be fully alive on a daily basis. But we're living in anticipation of a fourth realm. And that fourth realm is future spiritual life. So present spiritual death, those who are not followers of Christ, whose hearts are still beating, lungs are still breathing. Second realm is those whose hearts have ceased to beat and lungs have ceased to breathe. And they're dead physically, but they're still in that realm of spiritual death and actually for all eternity. So it's the curse of our, our rebelliousness. Third category, spiritual people who are present and spiritually alive. But fourth is future spiritual life. Jesus says, he's, he puts it this way back into the same text, verse 28. Now, don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done what is good will rise to live, and those who've done what is evil will rise to be condemned. John six forty. <laughs> For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. So in this great mystery of of God's restoration of the cosmos back to life, you and I come to Jesus. I'm still in a fallen body, still in a fallen world, and I'm going back and forth between those two columns of death and life on a daily basis. I never cease to be alive, but on a daily basis, I'm having to make choices of life or death. Take a look at those columns one more time. So you've got aimlessness or purpose, guilt or forgiveness, shame or acceptance. Paul struggled with this. Even though he was alive, he said, man, often I'll do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do. And that was at the end of chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Romans is this great exposition of the life of the Spirit 
The life that only the Spirit can give. And so obedience over the course of my journey, sanctification is a good old word to folks that uh, have a King James Bible. Sanctification is me becoming more experiential in the life of God, growing to be more and more like Jesus, more submissive to His Spirit, more obedient. But here's the beauty. I'm still struggling. Anybody here know what that struggle's like? We're dealing with it constantly. We're in a fallen world, fallen body. And the beauty of, the, of heaven that awaits is he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be abolished. And that whole left column is no longer going back and forth between the two. It's undiluted, undeterred eternal life. No longer thwarted by a, human, a fallen body or a fallen world, but enabled to engage fully in who we were made to be, and that is when the renewal of all things will have been taken place, and he says, that is when all things will be made new. And so what Paul, I mean, what John says at the end of his gospel in Romans chapter, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 1, he says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. He says, where we're headed is to the cosmos being completed. What Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, for now we only see in reflection as in a mirror, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You ever heard the phrase, I don't want to be so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good? You ever heard that? There's no such thing. Oh, there's being, I think it's appropriate to say, I don't want to be religiously escapist in my orientation that I just don't do life as a real person. But you can't be too heavenly minded. You and I are living in the realm of the city of man, as Augustine said, but there's also the reality of the city of God. And the more we are focused on that understanding that one day, 1 Corinthians 2.9, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. We're getting there. And it's ebbing and flowing. Sometimes it's three steps forward and sometimes it's two steps back. And it's you two steps back this week and you three steps forward, you get together. Because guess what? Next week, it's going to be reversed. And it's us exhorting and encouraging one another. It's what the writer of Hebrews is doing, is do not forget the author of your faith. He's the author. He's also the finisher. He's the alpha, but he's also the omega. And let's live in the midst of both of these realities. A friend of mine years ago was in Wisconsin, uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, going to University of Wisconsin football game, and they were getting trounced. Place was packed. It was a big, Big Ten rivalry, and he said, "What was so bizarre is in the midst of this, there were groans from the crowd because they were getting beaten so bad. But every now and then, you would hear this exultation and this great cheer. What was happening is thousands of people, more than half of the place, had earphones in or at least an earpiece in because 70 miles away, the Milwaukee Brewers were playing the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series, and they were kicking St. Louis Cardinals rear end." There we go, a brewer van. 
And so in the midst of this reality that's very difficult, they were also focusing on another reality of victory. And in the midst of, I don't know what you got going on in your life, but you and I gathering together as a community of people are saying, let me tell you something, I've gotten battered and bruised this week. And you and I encourage each other to say, but heaven is coming. And in the meantime, we can experience the life of the gospel because of the hope of the gospel, due to the grace of the gospel, and understand that in the death of Christ was the death of death. And as a result, you wake up and I wake up, and we do not have to be hopeless. We live as men and women who live in the shadow of the resurrection, and that death has been arrested and defeated, and one day that will be sealed for all eternity. In the meantime, let's engage one another to be fully alive in Jesus. How about it? Let's stand together, and before we go, we're going to do one thing. We're going to proclaim this. We're going to celebrate it. You ready to do that with one song, just to uncork it? Okay. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gift that you give us of hope, the gift that you give us of life in the midst of our death, of light in the midst of our darkness. Thank you for the way that you've called us to love and stimulate one another to good deeds, life-giving deeds. And so right now, enable us to make a proclamation, a proclamation that we who were dead are now alive. We who were in darkness are now in light. We who were not a people are now a people. And we're people that are meant to experience your life and also give it away. May we be gospel-oriented, Christ-centered, life-giving people to the glory of Jesus. So here's right now, before we go out into our journeys, to make this proclamation.